we are going to kind of zero in on just a few verses in Revelation chapter 12. And again, we're, we're calling this uh, the special information section. We've also referred to it as pauses in the scope and sequence. And, and I hope last week's lesson was not too tedious, but I want us to understand something. God is not under an obligation to deal with things as you and I would deal with things. The scope and sequence of chapter 12 goes way, way, way back before the book of Revelation was written into the Old Testament, picking up the imagery of Joseph's dream to let us know that the woman is the nation of Israel. The child that is being born is the king of Israel, the king of kings, the Messiah, the only one in the scripture who is noted to rule the nations with a rod of iron. The idea of the, of the dragon, of the devil waiting there, how many times in history has the devil desired to destroy Israel? What happened to the babes in Bethlehem? How many times during Jesus' earthly ministry did people try to stone him and, and destroy him? And yet, God does not do things by accident. God does it on purpose. The catching away of the child into heaven is not the catching of the baby away, but the ascension of the resurrected Christ. Because where is he? The child is caught up unto God and to his throne in Revelation chapter 5. Where do we first see the lamb in heaven? In the midst of the throne. A lamb as if it had been slain. Amen. We then have the dragon trying to persecute the woman. Uh, actually, we have war in heaven. We're going to deal with that tonight. Uh, Michael stands up. We went back to Daniel chapter 9. We now go from Acts chapter 1 in history to a future date, the midpoint of the tribulation period as far as we can understand the second half, the second number of 1260 days, that is when the war happens and the devil's wings are clipped. He is cast down to this earth. The Bible tells us that now he walketh about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Uh, then... After the warning in verse 12, we come down to verse 13. He tries to persecute the woman, and God stops him from doing that. People have tried to figure out for years. Scholars have said, Israel could flee to the valley, uh, to the city of Petra, because it is a city hewn out in the rocks, and, and it would be totally protected. Um, that was before some guy around here invented the bunker buster. Uh, I remember when in the first Iraq war they were talking about all kinds of things and somebody that knew a little more uh, than I ever will begin to say, hey, don't worry about the bunkers. He said, we have something. Later on we were to find out about those Bombs that can penetrate through 40 and 50 feet of solid rock and then blow up. Uh, the one thing you must understand about what is going to be happening in the next time, there will be no place to hide. I mean, I, I love the stories and the history, uh, all of the uh, I'm not too much on the made-up stuff. But how many of you have ever read some of the real history of some of what our OSS agents did during World War II? I mean, there are some amazing stories. One of our agents walked right into a Japanese 
encampment and delivered a message to the commander of the Japanese forces informing him to move his troops so it would be a little easier for us to retake Burma. And it happened. How can you invent things like that? Why, why go to fiction when we have reality? Amen? But let me tell you, I read some of those old stories and they say, wow, how'd they get away with that? Well, that was before we have all of the identification. I mean, you can, uh, down at the lumber yard on Steinway Street, do you know how you sign into the clock? You put your hand on a plate and it reads your fingerprints. That way nobody can sign in for you or out for you. And if you've ever been down to that place and been served by some of the people down there, you know why they have such a unit down there. Uh, it's kind of a scary place with some of the help down there. You know why it's there. A couple of years ago, we went to Fleet Week and met a guy walking around, and he had this little computer on a shelf on his lap, actually. He was carrying it around on his chest, and he had this funny-looking little headgear on here. I said, what in the world is that? He said, look at me. And he looked at me, and all of a sudden, five names pop up on the screen. He said, you may be one of five people. He said, let me look at you again. He said, no, you're not any of these people. He was actually taking a picture, running it through a database, and that's how you identify one out of 5,000 or so people that travel in an aircraft carrier group and know that there's no imitations aboard. Let me tell you, God has a place prepared for Israel. It says so right here. No, I don't believe that it's going to be the world's largest air force flying through the air. That's too easy to track. But everywhere the word flight is used, it talks about people fleeing into a place that God has prepared for them. And he says he's going to take care of Israel. Apparently, once the devil realizes he cannot attack physical Israel, he's going to attack the remnant of her seed. Those that believe have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Verse 17, it's going to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Yes, people will be saved. We go back to... The fifth seal, there was a multitude under the altar of people that had given their lives. And they said, there's going to be brethren added to you. And there's another place where it talks about an innumerable company of people from all over the world. And we'll deal with this when we get into chapters 13 and 14. The best we can understand, if you hear the gospel and reject it before the event that we call the rapture, you will believe the lie. But people who have never heard the truth will be saved during the tribulation period. And the dragon is going to persecute them. But uh, where, the, where I, that is the scope and sequence. That is the vision of chapter 12. And, and again... I don't want to be too much, but I'm tedious to use that word too many times. But I want us to get a hold of this because if you're going to mess up in the book of Revelation, you're going to do it in chapter 12. This is the place that is going to lead you to wrong understandings of the Scripture. How many people tried to make the child the church? I mean, if you do that, it just really skews your understanding of the rest of the book because who then is the woman that gives birth to the church? There is no such thing. And that's why we have some scholars trying to make all of these connections between the Old Testament law and the New Testament law. 
Uh, if you've ever been familiar with the teachings of, uh, I call him the man from Pensacola, uh, Peter Ruckman, he is one of the loudest proponents in these days of different methods of salvation in different times. And again, Revelation chapter 12, it's going to shoot that thing right through the head. You cannot be saved different ways in different time periods. There is not an Old Testament salvation and a New Testament salvation. There is only one salvation in the Bible that is evidenced as we've studied through the book of Revelation already. The 20 and 4 elders that are gathered around the throne, the only place we can find 24 is actually in the vision of Caiaphas that he says he's going to gather together in one all the children of God. Old Testament, 12 tribes. New Testament, 12 apostles. That's where we get 24. That's the only place I can find it in the Scriptures. And so now we are adding to them those that are being saved during the tribulation period. And we come down here to verse 10. And and I want us to pick up, we're going to just read verses 10 through 12 tonight. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto the death. Therefore... Rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil is come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. Now, I can't tell you how many different ways I read people trying to make these verses make sense. But what I want us to do is just ask a few questions. Where did the great voice come from? The Bible says that this voice was heard in heaven. But look what they say. Now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ for the accuser of our brethren is cast down. Now, how many of the groups that we know that are in heaven right now can refer to those that are living on earth that are being persecuted or soon will be the ultimate target of the devil himself as our brethren? Can the angels use that phraseology talking about men? No. Now, our Lord Jesus Christ, Hebrews chapter 2, he's not ashamed to call us brethren, but this is addressed in praise to him, not praise from him. And so this great voice that is spoken here would have to be the redeemed in heaven. Amen? And as they are speaking... They are praising God. And again, this theme, we've, we've talked about several different things that we're going to see again and again through the book of Revelation. In the midst of judgment, we always see praise. That would do our lives a whole lot of good to get a hold of that thing. Because when we see God's judgment, what's the first thing we think of? Woe is me. What's the first thing we ought to be thinking of? How great is God? Amen? Amen? We, we need to have a proper focus here. And every time this word brethren, it's only used four times in the whole book of Revelation, uh, 
It is used of the tribulation saints in chapter 6 as they are waiting under the altar until their brethren, those that should be slain as they were added unto them. In Revelation chapter 19 and 22 twice, John tries to fall down before the angel or the messenger that is, is explaining these things to him. And twice he is rebuked and said, I am of thy brethren. And you say, no, wait a minute. You just said angel. You said brethren. Yeah, it also says unto the angel of the church. Uh, the word angel simply means a divinely appointed messenger. In the book of Revelation, it's talking to and uh, about angelic beings in most of the passages. But there are several occasions in the book of Revelation where the term angel is referring to an individual, a human being that has God's message. We're we're not trying to change the word of God. We're just trying to understand it as correctly and as simply as we possibly can. And so twice, as the word brethren is used, that messenger that is giving the revelation to John says, listen, I'm of your brethren. So we come to this last time in Revelation chapter 12. And again, we're, we're applying our rules when we have a passage that is a little less clear. We go to passages that are more clear and we make an application. Could not the brethren that are being spoken of here include both the tribulation saints and those that are saved and assembled in heaven before the tribulation begins. I think that's the simplest answer. Because when we get down to sharing and dealing with their salvation, how they overcame the devil, the blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony, and love not their lives unto the death. Let me tell you, those are biblical principles. They're not limited to the tribulation period, but go from Genesis to the end of time. That is how Christians are to live. Amen? And these people are rejoicing with a great and loud voice. And by the way, that great voice is referred to by people uh, coming from saved individuals, saved beings in heaven, one other time in Revelation chapter 19. And so we're not uh, going out on a limb. The people that are rejoicing here are the saved that are in heaven. Now, this is what they proclaim. This is their praise to God. And it's interesting that it starts out with a word that gives us another time reference. It says, now is come. The first thing they say is salvation. The second, and strength, and the kingdom of our God, and the power of His Christ. Now, that kind of sounds may sound strange, and now is come salvation. Now, wait a minute. When do you get saved? The moment you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. The moment... That God's grace, His Word, is applied to your soul through faith. That's obedience to His Word. It's as simple as, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Amen. But when we pray that prayer, when we call upon the name of the Lord, what have we done? We've admitted our sinfulness and our failure our inability to save ourselves. We've expressed faith in the work of Jesus Christ that it is all sufficient for salvation. And we have trusted Him with our eternity. The Bible says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth, what? Thee, the only one. Not one of many. One. Lord, now, uh, we've had people in the past that have really confused this thing and tried to 
teach what they call lordship salvation. And by that, what they mean is you must be sinlessly perfect once you're saved or you're not saved. And of course, some people are born stupid and other people like to advertise it. Now, don't they? All you have to do is look in the mirror. Do saved people sin? Yes. Do they sin more than they should? Absolutely. What does God do with all of our sin and all of our failure? It's called salvation. Amen. Aren't you glad? God is much more patient than we are. But if he's not your Lord, if he doesn't own you, if he doesn't have the right of determination, you're not saved. You say, how do you balance that out? Well, the Bible says, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. And if your belief doesn't change where you're going and what you're thinking, you didn't believe very much, now did you? It's got to be a belief that appropriates God's grace to your soul. But who's responsible? Not you. How many times have you prayed about something and God answered your prayer and the devil was there sitting on your shoulder to whisper, Wow, you know how to pray. Anybody ever had that happen? Let me tell you, it's not your prayers. It's God's grace. Amen? That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. That's how you get saved. Um, How many of you were tempted this week by your flesh and by the world and by the devil and by all the things that we face? How many of you are looking forward to that day? When you'll never be tempted again. Won't that be a wonderful thing? There'll never be another late math lesson, will there, Stephen? There will be no temptation. What do they cry out? They say, listen, the accuser of our brethren is cast down. Salvation is come now. You know, we hear about these things. Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. And we understand that these things are coming, but they're not yet. But when we get to Revelation chapter 12, we're going to see him. We're going to see the devil himself. His wings clipped, cast to the earth. Never again will the accusatory voice of the tempter Echo in the halls of heaven. Won't that be a wonderful thought? Hasn't happened yet. That's why the word now is being used. This is how Peter describes this very same thing. Let's um, look... Uh, Well, let's just start in verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctification of the Spirit unto the obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, look down, just skip down with me to verse 9. It says, Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. You know what? In God's mind, in God's understanding, I'm already in heaven. Read Ephesians chapter 2. I'm seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. I'm just as sure of heaven as if if I were already there. 
but I still have to face the tempter every day that I live on this earth. Hasn't happened yet, but it's going to. Now is come salvation. Doesn't it seem like the devil wins every battle? I remember when I was a Bible college student in independent Baptist circles, we were just beginning the final stages of the argument over the authority of the Bible, the Word of God. Let me tell you, that battle is lost. Almost every major Bible college in this country has weakened its stand or turned its back on its stand of the authority of the Bible in the English language. There are a few that still claim it, but I'll tell you one of the reasons I lead our church in supporting Heartland Baptist Bible College in Oklahoma City is because they've not weakened their stand. If anything, they have affirmed it and made it stronger. And, uh, and no, they have not gone to seed on the issue, as some people do. You can be so right, you're wrong. But uh, you, you name the Bible College, Baptist Bible College, Springfield, Missouri, no longer uses the Bible in the English language. They use only the Alexandrian text in their Greek. They use only the uh, corrupt versions of the Bible in their Bible classes. When I was a student, you were a strange rebel indeed that carried anything in your hand but a King James. It's exactly the opposite today on campus. You are the strange rebel indeed if you carry a King James Bible. It's pathetic, but it's true. Listen, it seems like the devil wins. How many of you could ever imagine? How many of you are alive in 1973? Abortion came into being. Could any of you imagine 60 million babies murdered in this country? You know what? That How many times? That is almost eight times the population of New York City put to death legally in this country. All the same time, the criminals, those that commit murder, and I'm not talking about the abortion doctors, I'm talking about those that shoot and knife and strangle and all of these things. Almost every state in the nation has eliminated death row. Do you think there's a connection there? Well, let me tell you something. When you lose your understanding of what life really is, you lose a lot of other things too. They are connected. In 1962, I think, was the year that they used the biggest problems in our public school system was talking in class. You know what the next biggest problem was? Chewing gum. And disruptive behavior, not listening to the teacher. Now we're looking at assault, both physical and sexual. We are dealing with things in the hallways, in the public schools of our city that were not contemplated in the darkest dens of iniquity 40 years ago. Now, why am I telling you this? Is because it is easy to take our eyes off of the power of God and His salvation and what He has done and what He has promised in this world and put it on what is going wrong with our nation. When where our focus needs to be, hey, He may look like He's winning now. But when that battle in heaven shows up and Michael and the good angels show up, 
Guess what? He's getting cast down to the earth. Now has come salvation. We ought to rejoice in that. When we get discouraged, when we get worn out, when we get frustrated, we need to remember that it is coming. Amen? And look at the next one. The first, now is come salvation and strength. God is not weak. He's waiting. The Bible word is long-suffering. The time that God is allowing sin to hold its will and sway in our society is time for you and I to repent of our sins and draw closer to our God. Take advantage of His long-suffering. Rejoice in it. And remember, the devil has but a short time. Amen? And the kingdom of our God. Every generation. And if you want to know one of the key points to misunderstanding in the scripture, it all has to, it is almost all of it is wrapped up in a wrong understanding of what the kingdom of God is. And now is come, Revelation chapter 11 and verse 14, I believe it is. The second woe is past. Behold, the third woe cometh quickly. What did Jesus say? When that, when that last angel sounds, when that last trumpet sounds, the third woe, that is the seven vials, that it is finished. There should be time no longer. Now, don't answer this question, but how many of you got tired waiting on God? You heard about the fellow that was trying to manipulate God? He says, I know it says in the Bible that a year is as a thousand days. I mean, a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. Well, God, wouldn't it work the same with money? That one dollar is like a million, and a million dollars is like one. God said, yeah. Well, God, could you just give me a dollar? And God said, tomorrow. You try to turn the Lord around. Let me tell you, it doesn't happen that way. Don't get tired of waiting on God. The kingdom, what does the word kingdom mean? It is the area of influence and domination by the king. Amen? That's the definition. Now, why are we looking for these strange and fantastic definitions of the kingdom of God when Luke chapter 17 Behold, the kingdom of God is where? Within you. When is the last time you started your day by asking God to place your soul and your events of that day under the domination and the direction of the king? How many days have we forgotten to do that? and wander in the hinterland of spiritual failure and wonder why. Because we've not allowed the king to rule within us as he chooses. But let me tell you something. Jesus talked about a visible, physical kingdom on this earth with he himself, the king of kings, the lord of lords, as the sole regent of that kingdom. He will have others that will reign with him. We've already been through that. Thou hast made us kings and priests unto our God. But there's only going to be one king that is really going to be in charge of anything, and that's going to be the Lord Jesus Christ. How many times have, we said, have I said from this pulpit, there'll be no peace until the Prince of Peace rules this world from the city of peace. 
What did Jesus say? Thy kingdom come. We're supposed to pray for his kingdom, amen? We are supposed to look for his kingdom. And every nation, Eve, let's just review the failures. Eve, when she had, when Cain was born, I've gotten a man from God. He is the fulfillment of the prophecies and he murdered one quarter of the world's population. Of course, there were only four people living at that time, but his sin was no less the great because of the lack of human population. Now, was it? Israel, when Solomon ascended the throne, thought they had arrived. The kingdom was here. They had peace. They had a temple. They had everything that they wanted. And the world's wisest fool was their king. What was the disciples' repeated question over and over and over again? When will that kingdom come? Uh, Revelation chapter 12. Now is thy kingdom come. Not until. Why do religions fight wars? Because they don't understand about the kingdom. This, I'm in a jihad from Iran. He keeps talking about rearranging world events so that the 12th iman or whatever his number is, is going to show up and set everything right. Well, the Bible talks about that guy. He's called the beast, the Antichrist. He will come and they will accept him. But his kingdom is going to be short-lived because the kingdom of the Lord, the kingdom of our God is coming. And I've seen people, uh, the Catholic Church, what were they trying to do? In the Middle Ages... They were trying to dominate Europe because they wanted to bring the kingdom of God to this world. Guess what? It wasn't a kingdom of God, of the God of our, our God, the God of the Bible. It was a kingdom of the God of this world. It only brought darkness and death and destruction and suffering. How many world leaders feigned themselves as the one that would bring world peace? How many of you knew Adolf Hitler thought he was bringing peace and prosperity to this world? The Third Reich would last a thousand years, he wrote. I'm not quite sure it lasted a thousand days, praise God. But Jesus' kingdom is going to last a thousand years. He is going to rule and reign. And when we're assembled there in heaven, we're going to see the devil cast down to the earth and the final preparation made for his kingdom to come. And you know what we're going to be doing? We're going to be shouting at the top of our lungs. And now has come salvation. We've seen the strength of the devil. We will see the strength of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We have heard and prayed for his kingdom and how often we fail as we try to make the kingdom within us truly the dominion of the King of kings and the Lord of lords as he will take us through this day and through the next. And we fail over and over again. But when his kingdom truly comes on this earth, there'll be no more failures. Amen. And so their plea was salvation, strength, the kingdom of our God, and the power of His Christ. It's going to all be about Jesus. Somebody said, here is history in, one, in two words. His story. It's about Jesus. Paul, and we don't have time tonight to go there, but talked about the weakness that Jesus had to endure to die and to suffer upon the cross. 
But it was the strength of God because Jesus paid for our sins and for our suffering. Amen? He is the one that has given us forgiveness. And we're going to see the power of Christ manifest in ways that have, will never be manifest, have not yet since creation, and will never again. Because the kingdom is going to be the fulfillment of all the ages. The reason for this praise is because the accuser of the brethren is cast down. This is what the devil is doing right now. Which accused them before our God day and night. Read the book of Job. Read Zechariah chapter 3. The priest was standing there in filthy garments because of his sin and the sin of his people. That God had removed them from the land of Israel and they were trying to cleanse the temple site and rebuild the temple. And God said, listen, I'll put clean garments upon the priest and I'll make him holy because I am a holy God. What did Jesus tell Peter the night he was betrayed? He says, Satan hath desired thee to sift thee as wheat. He wants you. Let me tell you, the devil's work is accusing us before God. Every sin that we sin, the devil is up rehearsing that in the presence of God. Isn't that a sad testimony? And yet, the Bible says he's going to be cast down. That's something to rejoice in. No more is he going to remember. And, and very quickly here, and I, if, if we don't cover this, we'll, we'll just pick up here. Here's how they overcame him. Number one, the blood of the Lamb. Why did God kill those animals? And take their skins and make a covering from Adam and Eve outside the Garden of Eden. Why did he accept Abel's offering and refuse Cain's? Every sacrifice in the Old Testament pointed to the blood of God's Lamb, Jesus Christ. Did you have to understand all of that in order to be saved in the Old Testament? No. You had to be obedient to the revelation that God gave you. Amen? But by putting your faith in what the Bible said, He told Abraham, He told Enoch, He told Adam and Eve, by putting their faith in God's revealed Word, they were putting their faith in the blood of the Lamb. As they walked into heaven's portholes and began to understand what was, really on, what was really going on, they understood that it was not the blood of the sacrifices that they had offered, but the blood of God's Lamb that pays the price for their sins. Amen? You and I today, we look back to the finished work of the cross, and it is the blood of the Lamb that pays the price for our eternal security. Amen? If you're going to overcome the wicked one, you got to get saved. And there's only one way to get saved. Through the blood of the Lamb. What was their second weapon? The word of their testimony. How many of us didn't live the way we should have this week? Now raise your hands where you all didn't. Did you lose your salvation? Praise God, no. That's the word of my testimony. It's not about the good things that I have done. It's about the salvation that the blood of the Lamb has given me. Amen? It's about the fact that it's not about my service that keeps me saved. It's His blood that keeps me saved. Amen? Can you get encouraged about that just a little tiny bit? It won't hurt. It only helps. As we understand 
Your salvation is not about you. It's about Him. The word of my testimony is not all the good things that I have done. There's nothing good that I have done. He didn't do for me and through me. He saved me in spite of who I am, not because. And they love not their lives, even unto the death. I mean, I could preach a whole sermon on each one of these points. And maybe you ought to go home, take your Bible, and let God do that this between now and Sunday morning. And I'll tell you what, if you did, we'd have revival on Sunday morning. You see, he that seeketh to save his life, what's going to happen? He's going to lose it. But if you'll lose your life, I think that's somewhat connected to if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord, then you save it. If you love your life, let me tell you, you're going to lose it. If you give it to Jesus. What do you think Abraham was doing when he left Ur of the Chaldees? He's given up his life. Do you know they had hot and cold running water in Ur of the Chaldees 2,200 years before Jesus was born? Yeah, they did. Pretty cool. And not a drip of solder to make it work. Praise God. And no clamps and all the garbage that we have to do. They build it. What do you think Noah left when he began to build an ark? Everything that he knew and everything that he was. And when he went into that ark, he was completely cut off from the world in which he lived. And if he hadn't gone into that ark... He would have joined every other living soul that had breath and died when God's flood came on. How many have laid down their lives for the name of Jesus through the years? They love not their lives unto the death. And you do not have to die a martyr's death to fulfill those sentences. It's talking about the death of self as much as it is the physical death that many have endured for the name of Jesus Christ. You see, somebody coined many years ago, if you have nothing in your life worth dying for, you probably don't have much worth living for. Memorial Day's coming up. How many of you read the story of the latest recipient of the Medal of Honor from the Vietnam War? They went through the records 40-some years ago. He gave his life that the rest of his squad could live. You know what? He deserves that Medal of Honor. My first thought is always, I wonder if he was saved. It's where I always go. But you know what? You don't have to be saved to give your life for your country. In fact, I would dare say most that have given their life that we may be free weren't Bible-believing Christians. It's a terrifying thought. But if you're holding on to your life, you can't have the salvation because you can't overcome the wicked one. He will overcome you. The word of your testimony is not what you have done. It's all about what Jesus has done. And when you get to heaven, I like to ask people, if, if you were to stand at the gate of heaven, and by the way, it won't be St. Peter at the gate. It's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He has the keys of death and hell. He has the key of eternal life. And if he asks you the question, why should I let you into heaven? The only answer that will gain entrance. They overcame him through the blood of the Lamb. And my testimony is, it's not about my failures. It's about your forgiveness. 
It's not about my life. It's about your life. Can you see why they're rejoicing in the middle of the tribulation period in heaven? In the midst of judgment, there's always praise. God does not deal with things as we deal with them. And the scope and sequence of Romans of Revelation chapter 12 can be quite confusing unless you just let it speak for itself. My prayer for each one of us in here is that we'll be assembled together and be a part of that praise, of that great voice in heaven. Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of his God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down. Don't you give any credence to some nutcase on television says, I bind the devil. Those guys terrify me. Anybody that stupid, anybody that foolish, Let me tell you, the devil's power is only going to be clipped when he is cast out of heaven. And that's not going to be until the middle of this tribulation period. But the Bible says, I'm going to be there to see it. And we will rejoice. But woe unto the inhabitants is the word in your Bible. Of the earth. Because the devil has come down unto you having great wrath, for he knoweth that it hath but a short time. Let's pray that we may be faithful till he comes for us. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you and we thank you for the great truths that are in your word. And Lord, while we know that the time of this passage is yet in the future, The overcoming can be in the present. And Lord, when we are overwhelmed with the victories that Satan seems to win, Lord, will you make our souls sensitive to the Holy Spirit and to the words that are found in this chapter? The time is short. It is your long-suffering that allows things to be as they are now. Lord, I pray not a one of us would neglect the opportunity that we have to draw close to Thee in these end days. Dear Lord, work in our hearts that the word of our testimony may be through the blood of the Lamb. And then none of us would try to hold dear to ourselves our life, but that we would hold dear to the blood of your cross. In Jesus' name we pray. Before we finish that prayer, we'll just...